This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. The sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, here once again on the farm near Newmarket. And once again, introducing your host, Master Gardener, from her home in Prince Edward County. And here she is, the darling of the daisies, the majestic monarch of the marigolds, and the queen of the county. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you, ta-da, Charlie Dobbin. Oh, my goodness. Frankie, there's no time left to do the show now. That took a whole hour. Well, okay, maybe it was a little bit over the top, but it only illustrates what a busy person you are. In fact, this is the truth. You've been so busy of late that even finding a day and time to record this show was no easy feat. What the devil have you been up to? <laughs> okay, so where do I start? And you're right. I have been busy. And don't get me wrong. I love what I do. But sometimes it seems there aren't enough hours in the day. So, for example, this past week, I've been coordinating landscapers, which frankly feels a bit like herding cats. And I was in Aurelia taping another episode of Healing Gardens. We visited the home and studio of Canadian icon Charlie Pachter. He's quite a well-known artist. He's the one who's done a lot of those moose icons you might have seen around. Oh, yeah. His gardens are designed to calm and restore him because he is a, a you know very busy artist. Plus, it also provides him with some tasty flavors. And that fits in very well with your Healing Gardens program. Gee, I don't know about the if Joel, our producer, who's listening in on the conversation, feels the same as I do, and that's guilty for taking too easy of a time with this pandemic. But good for you, Charlie. I know the listeners are going to be looking forward to watching the episodes of Healing Gardens. Any news of where and when folks can catch you on the two? Uh, I have nothing definitive just yet, but I can tell you the series will air on Vision TV, and of course, we'll certainly announce it here on The Garden Show, and I'll also be announcing it on my website and my, you know, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And speaking of the pandemic, that's the reason we're not in the studios at the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. And of course, that means no phone calls. But we have loads and loads of emails. So in fact, Franklin, right now might be a good time to slide in my email address so folks can send me a question for next week's show. That's a good call, Charlie. All righty, here it is. C dot Dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. And you know, Charlie, I think since we've been in this lockdown mode, we've gained a whole lot of new listeners. You know, I think you might be right, and I think I know one reason why. 
uh, today and, and for the last several months, physical distancing measures have been so important, and not to mention self-quarantining because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So along with an increased apprehension of visiting grocery stores, Victory Gardens are once again being grown by a lot of Canadians. You know, during the First and Second World Wars, Canadian leaders implored city folk to help soldiers on the front lines by growing small vegetable, herb and fruit gardens in their yards or flower beds. And aside from growing your own delicious, fresh and healthy vegetables from the comfort of your own backyard, Victory Gardens are also a pretty wonderful way to pass the time during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Absolutely. It's a project that gets you outside each day. Fresh air, vitamin D, bending, lifting, just healthier all around. And if you have, particularly if you have children at home, it gives them something to do too, something that the whole family can do, which we know many of us have been taking advantage of during the pandemic is quality family time. So it's a wonderful introduction for children into the world of horticulture and nature. Oh, Charlie, I'm getting an audio jog in the ribs for Joel, our producer, that it's time for our first break. All right, let's take a moment to top up our coffee mugs, and I'll be back with the emailed questions to see if I can offer some help to folks. You're listening to The Garden Show with your host, Charlie Dobbin, right here on Zoomer Radio AM 740 at 96.7 in downtown Toronto. Back after a few words from our sponsors. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, time to go back to those questions now. And here's one I've been looking forward to from last week's show. It's from Joy Lambert in Virgil. She says, uh, uh, yellow and black bugs are devouring the cucumber leaves. Tried squishing diatomaceous earth, but no let up. And I just love that word. Made me look it up, as a matter of fact. No, you did and good. You're, you're saying it just perfectly. Well, yeah. Made it made from fossilized remains of tiny aquatic organisms called diatoms. Well, there you go. How about that? Okay, well, what she's got going on there is something called a cucumber beetle. Uh, the beetles are a bit of a drag. They will chew holes in the leaves of the cucumber plants. And they, they're most obvious on the plants right around mid-June, early July. Uh, they really start to come out in a big way. So that's why, you know, she's uh, uh, Joy was really seeing them. The, but the worst thing the cucumber beetle does is it transmits a bacterial virus called, it's a wilt disease. And and that's what happens, right? You, your cucumbers look great one day, and then the next day they're just completely collapsed right in front of you. And it's because they've received the bacterial wilt disease from the cucumber beetles. Now, there's honestly not a lot you can do. The picking, picking and squishing is not a bad idea. Um, the diatomaceous earth is not going to do a lot of, you know, sort of, be that effective on beetles because like a diatomaceous earth as you said it's a it's from diatoms and it looks like a white powder to us but it's actually like shards of glass to an insect but because a beetle has a very hard body it you don't get the right sort of effect 
that you would with, say, a soft-bodied insect like an aphid or a slug. And because the diatomaceous earth is amazing with those guys. Um, what I would recommend is using, as soon as you start seeing those beetles, py- powdered or dust, pyrethrin, or rotenone dust sprinkled right on the leaves of the plants and on the insects. Now, you have to remember that you do all this dusting early in the evening or very early in the morning because both those dusts, pyrethrin and rotenone, are toxic to bees, and the last thing you want to do is start sprinkling the stuff on the bees. The other thing is use a um, cover, you know, like a net cover. It's almost like a cheesecloth cover. And that way you can protect your cucumbers from those beetles arriving. Unless, of course, they're coming out of the soil because they do overwinter in the soil, which is another reason why it's so important that we rotate our crops every year. So it's a bit of a challenge. But yeah, as soon as you see them, do what you can to squish or use an insecticide. Okie dokie. Uh, here's a note from Tricia. Says, um, hi, Charlie. I've enjoyed listening to you on Zuma Radio and I'm looking for advice on my tomato plants that have black bottoms. I planted them in containers at my cottage. They get lots of sun and are watered every day. When I'm not there, I have self-watering bottles that I put in the soil. My plants are very big, lots of flowers. The tomatoes have now developed black bottoms, and they're quite flat on the bottom. I have never had this before. I fertilize every three weeks. Are the tomatoes destined for the compost? And she's attached some photos for you to have a peek at. Mm-hmm. And that's a classic case of something called blossom end rot. Uh, it does happen to the, the bottom of tomatoes. Excuse me, when two things have happened. One is, I know she says she's watering every day uh, and she's got this watering system going on when she's not there, but you know what? Consistent moisture is so important to keep your tomatoes clean and clear from blossom end rot. So any of the tomatoes that have evidence of the black bottoms, absolutely stick them in the compost. Um, remember that the one way to try and get around these is to recognize how important it is to water tomatoes, particularly in containers. In it, when it's hot, which it's been, you might need to water twice a day or even three times a day, like really, really keep them well watered. Uh, one thing I found on the web is kind of cute. Warner will like this. Mix up some powdered milk with water and water your tomatoes immediately with a whole bunch of that. And it's for the calcium. So it's all about what the blossom and rot is, is because of a lack of calcium. And then it's a, it's a whole other story about how calcium moves within the plant. But keeping moisture levels at a, at a high level means you should have sufficient calcium, particularly if your fertilizer has calcium in it, which it should. So, um, moisture, calcium based fertilizers. And then the only third thing I can recommend is before you plant any tomatoes in the spring or early summer, make sure the soil is well warmed up. We're not going into a cold soil because cold soils will often end up with blossom and rot tomatoes. So be careful of that and good luck with that. Okay. Uh, Oh, here's a note from one of our regular listeners, Maureen Boyce, who number one says, uh, love the garden show. You and Frank are great. Well, I'm sending that right along to management, uh, right off the bat. Yeah, anyway, good idea. <laughs> she says, hello, Charlie. I received two dappled willows for my birthday. Here's a picture. So she sent you that. Found out on the Internet that these grow very large. Only the Latin name S-A-L-X Integra Salx was on the tag. I do not have a large front or back garden. The place they would work best is uh, now now has annuals blooming and she asks a number of questions so let me just yes. fire them off here and see what you can do can i 
Uh, keep them in their prison containers until the fall, or are they too small for a summer home? Can I keep them trimmed down if they grow too high in the future? That's the long and short of it. From Maureen. Yeah. So that, it's a very pretty shrub. I think it's sweet. Her brother said, here's two small bushes for your garden. Of course, they want to grow ultimately about three and a half meters tall and wide. So yes, you can keep them in the pots until fall as long as you water them every single day and keep them in a spot where they're not in full sun because then you'll have to water them three times a day. Uh, they will get big. So maybe just plant one and maybe give one to somebody else or look at another spot in your garden. Yes, you can trim them down you are what you, you're going to do once assuming you plant them in your garden is every spring you're going to cut them right down to about oh maybe a foot or two feet at the most tall because every year they're going to fill right out and they're very pretty the leaves are all different colors and uh, they're they're very ornamental with no flowers at all but they are willows and willows grow fast Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much, Charlie. And that, my friends, brings us to uh, the end of our first segment, and uh, we're gonna, or our second segment, I guess it is. And we have to take a little bit of a break here to give time to our sponsors to let you know some of their fantastic products. Okay. So, Charlie Dobbin shall return in moments here on The Garden Show from Zuma Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, here we go with more questions via emails uh, from Diane Smith. Hi, Charlie and Frank. Listen to your program every Saturday. And she says, get quite a chuckle from the two of you. I hope you're both keeping well. Yes, we are. Uh, I've attached two pictures of a little plant I'd like to know more about. I received it from one of my neighbors many years ago, and it's now gotten to quite a size. I believe it's a ground cover of some sort. I like to split it into smaller pieces and place it in other areas of my garden. Now, she's got a supplementary question here, but we'll hold that for just a moment while you answer this question <laughs> from the photo she sent you. Anyway, what do you think? All right. I'm not... Yeah, well, Frank, I'm not sure if you saw the photo. It's a very lovely ground cover called Lamium. So L-A-M-I-U-M. It is, uh, another name I think is Dead Nettle is the common name. So it's a silver green leaf. It, some of them, they come with white flowers or pink flowers. There's two different varieties out there. What's nice about it is it'll grow in any soil. It'll grow in sun or shade. Uh, and it'll, it, it does look pretty tattered if it doesn't get any water, but it won't die. <laughs> it's a really tough little plant. So absolutely, yes. Dig up whatever you want. As long as you've got a little bit of root attached to a little bit of stem, jam that in anywhere in your garden you want to put it, and it will very nicely fill in. Be careful of putting it near the front of the garden, though, because it has a tendency to grow into the lawn, and then it just becomes a bit of a chore to have to keep digging it out. But easy plant to grow and nice ground cover. Okay, and Diana sent you another photograph. She says, uh, I believe this one's a weed, which seems to wrap around other plants and choke them. Could you tell me a bit more about it and how to get rid of it? I must let you know this comes from my neighbor's yard, through the fence, up through their lilac bush and down to my garden. I, if I see it, I either pull on it and it get as much of it as possible to chop off. It's driving me crazy. So what do you say there? Yeah. 
Well, you know, um, Diane's having the exact same issue that myself and my next door neighbor back in Richmond Hill had. And that was that the person behind us planted this plant. The common name is Engelman Ivy. Uh, it's like five, uh, it looks like a hand. The leaf looks like a hand, which is why it's called Parthenocystis quinquefolia. So quink for five, folia for foliage. So it's a five fingered leaf. Engelman Ivy, yes, super tough to get rid of and very invasive. And yeah, both my neighbor and I were up on ladders and we were like leaning down, trying to chop it out of the person's yard from behind us. And of course, the more you chop it, the more it grows. So you really kind of have to make friends with your neighbor so that you can go into their backyard and talk to them about, we got to get rid of this. Um, and it's it, it, digging, you can only really dig it out to, to get rid of it. Just chopping it back, it'll just keep growing. So it's a tough one. And uh, if you're not buddies with your neighbor, Diane, then you're just gonna have to keep doing what you're doing, which is, you know, block it however you can and just cut it off when it gets into your yard because it will invade and choke everything in its path. All righty. Uh, next question here. Actually, it's a repeat question. Uh, Luciano Regia. Yeah, I love that name. Luciano mm. Regia. Anyway, he says, I have cucumber plants. I believe they are beetles, uh, the striped ones. What do I do to get rid of them? Well, we had that question right off the top of the show. So, Luciano, I hope you were listening uh, to catch the answer that Charlie had. It was quite an extensive answer, too. But in case you didn't, you can always go to our podcast in three or four days' time. Uh, just go on Zoomer Radio, go to podcasts, and you'll find the shows there, Garden Show, and give a listen. And uh, you can hear exactly what Charlie had to say about that, okay? Rather than have you go through all that again, Charlie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so it's just the first question. So yeah. it's right at the beginning of the show. That's right. Okay. Uh, next question. Lucy Kelly from Grimsby, Ontario. She says, uh, love your show. Very informative. The flowers on my trumpet vine are very large, about the size of a daffodil. What type of trumpet vine is it? It's uh, now 20 years old and is spectacular around this time of year. Thank you. In anticipation, says Lucy. <laughs> so, um, you know what? There aren't any really fancy cultivars of trumpet vine. The proper name is Campsis, so C-A-M-P-S-I-S, Campsis radicans. Um, just like our last, uh, where I was just talking about the Engelman ivy, uh, Campsus radicans or trumpet vine is considered a very aggressive vine. It can, again, travel up and over every plant in your garden. It can get up to 35 feet tall. I've seen it go up hydro poles. I've seen it, you know, going all over the place. It is a native plant, which is lovely. It, and as you point out, uh, Lucy, it's got really pretty flowers. Uh, hummingbirds love it. So there's a, a lot of good reasons to have it, but just make sure you've got it in a place where you can control it. Because uh, otherwise, it will start to control you. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so good luck with that. But it does look pretty. It's a nice picture that she sent. Okay. Nice note here from Barbara Taylor. Subject, Philoplexus camosa. Says, hello, Charlie and Frank. My mother and I enjoy listening to your show every week. And we'll play the podcast to go over the info and tips we maybe miss along the way. Isn't that great? Good for you. Mm -hmm. Now, she says, I saw a plant photo on Facebook and all the comments were, what is it? Finally, one comment said it was Philoplexus camosa and uh, that it's an alpine plant. Most photos looked as though it was in a container and indoors. 
we have an area we'd like to uh, make a little rock garden. I thought this would be a beauty to start with. The info I could find said they were hard to germinate from seeds. So my question is, can you tell me a bit about the care of them? We live in Burlington, Ontario. Would this plant prosper in this area? And how can I get my hands on one? Okay, so good question, Barbie. Um, so Physoplexus camosa. This is not a common plant in North America or in our part of North America. It is an alpine plant originally from Europe. The common name is tufted horned Rampion. <laughs> I have frankly wow. never seen it ever. Uh, so I would suggest to you it's going to be a very tough one to find and grow. It has very specific conditions that are required for it to grow. So you have to f fulfill an alpine meadow environment, a European alpine meadow environment for this plant to really thrive. Um, I think you probably could find the seeds online. Uh, I know this, it's quite a beautiful plant and it, the Royal Horticultural Society from the UK has given it uh, awards because it is so pretty, but it's very hard to get a hold of. So if you can get some seeds and you want to try it, that'll be, a, I mean, an interesting project to try. But if you're thinking more about, let's just make a little rock garden and let's keep it simple. Let's, a few suggestions I would make would be consider things like the low growing sedums, which is just a very nice low growing ground cover, shallow rooted, happy to grow in amongst rocks. Hens and chicks. Everybody knows what the little hens and chicks look like. Lovely plants in a rock garden. Even thyme. Thyme is a nice low-growing mat that will, you know, creep through rocks and, and of course, also give you a lovely aroma if you step on it. Um, there's even some nice low-growing perennials. Well, we mentioned lamium from one of our last um, questions there. Uh, but, like, a, there's a little plant called Campanula carpatica. So, campanulas are bluebells. Carpatica is, means it's carpet-like. So little bluebells that grow like in a carpet can be a very nice plant in a rock garden. So I'd, I'd stick to something that's a little easier to get a hold of rather than something really tough. But yeah, it's a good project. If you can get some seeds, go for it. Let us know how that turns out. Yeah, send us a picture if you get that going. Boy, that'd be something. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, here's a note from Teresa Kimball. Uh, Hi, Charlie. I live in a condo with large windows facing south. I listen to you every Saturday. I had my anthurium plant for about six months, and is it ever slow in growing? The bigger leaves gradually turn yellowish, and the new leaves are very slow in coming. Is this a slow-growing plant? I also have a jalapeno plant, uh, and it keeps growing taller and taller. Looks beautiful. It's in full life. Lots of flowers. And then they fall off, but as yet, not one jalapeno. What am I doing? What am I doing wrong to these two plants? Please help. Much appreciated. Stay safe, says Teresa. Okay. Right. So, so this is a situation where Teresa is growing these plants inside in a really sunny southern window on a window ledge by the sounds of it. So they're pretty happy plants. The anthurium is not typically a really slow growing plant, but it might just be getting a little too much sun. In the summertime, I'd be inclined to move that anthurium away from the window, you know, even eight or 10 feet in the winter put it back in the window it does like to be kept moist so feel it every day water as necessary and obviously offer fertilizer as a way to you know maintain growth because plants in pots need to be fertilized there, there's no natural nutrient happening in those pots now the jalapeno pepper is another question because outside in the real world of of 
pepper growing, we have wind and we have insects. So when the pepper sets flowers, the pollen gets moved and the plant gets pollinated by its own pollen. It's a self-pollinating plant, but the pollen has to move within the flowers. Wind will do that, and so will insects. So your job, Teresa, is either to set up a little fan and get a little bit of wind blowing on that, that jalapeno pepper to get that pollination happening, or get yourself a little paintbrush, a soft little paintbrush or a Q-tip, and as soon as those flowers open, you get out there and you be the bug. So you just really have to just touch the, the flowers when they're open uh, and just move the Q-tip or the paintbrush around a little bit and the pollen should then land in the right spot and you should end up with a fertilized flower and you should end up with fruit, okay? All righty, very good. Um, here, <laughs> I love when the folks add a little subject line that makes me kind of giggle. Suzanne McCoy writes, subject my ugly lilies. <laughs> Good morning, yeah. Charlie. What is wrong with these lilies? I don't see any red little uh, lily bugs, but there there are earwigs. I did spray before they opened with the biomist. There's a white one beside it that seems okay, but uh, P.S. I do have a couple of rabbits scampering around. Don't know if you can see the mm. stem of one of them. They they would have been beautiful. Any help is appreciated, and she has loved the show. Uh, Sue McCoy from Brampton, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I just, oh, biome. I, I meant to look this up. Biomist, because I didn't know what this is. It's an insect killer concentrate. Uh, okay. So it gets rid of insects on flowers and vegetables. Uh, it's a pyrethrin based insecticide. Uh, all right. So. I'm not sh So she did spray them before they opened with biomist. Huh. I'm not sure if you looked at the pictures, but yes, these are very deformed lily flowers. And that's why she refers to them as my ugly lilies. They would have been gorgeous and they aren't. I think what's going on here is, well, and you know what? Somebody who's listening might just have an idea and want to send an email on what they think is happening because very deformed flowers on lilies, and lilies are tough plants. Now, we're not talking day lilies here. We're talking lilium, so they grow from a bulb. And um, But this year, we've had a couple things happening. We've had extremely high temperatures, and when we have really high temperatures, we often end up with environmental oddities in our gardens. And I'm wondering if perhaps that's a bit of what's going on there is that the temperature has thrown these flowers out of whack or even watering. So too much, too little water, again, can throw the whole system out of whack. The, the bit of research that I was able to do suggested that when the first blooms are really messed up for no apparent reason on lilies, often what will happen is that the next set of blooms will be fine. So maybe Sue is now experiencing proper looking lilies because she sent this uh, email a good 10 days ago. So it is possible that, that the second round of blooms is good. But I'm thinking that what's going on there is environmental. It's not permanent. There's no viruses that do that. There's no bacteria. There's no insects that make uh, blooms look like that. So anybody got an idea, send me an email. Happy to hear your suggestions. But for now, I wouldn't worry about it. I think it'll all sort itself out, particularly next year. They'll be better. 
Okay, and since you meant, uh, mentioned your email, good time to send an email into Charlie for next week's show. Send your question along to c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. And we're uh, up to the end of our next break here, so let's uh, take that and come back and attack more of those questions with the help of Charlie Dobbin here on Zuma Radio. Okay, Charlie, back to the emailed questions here. And I love this from Irene Clark in Port Hope. She says, can I bother you with a question? <laughs> and I wrote, I know what Charlie would say. You are never a bother. So anyway, she says, Charlie, do you think I could grow a Boston Ivy in a pot large if it is helpful to grow it on the trellis of my deck? Uh, would not get much sun, just a little. And if so, how would I get it to survive the winter? Now, there's a question for you. All right, so Boston ivy is a very tough, hardy vine. Actually, very similar to that Engelman ivy we were talking about earlier. Uh, so, uh, you know, vigorous, um, hardy. However, you're right, anything growing in a pot above ground can die in a cold winter because it's colder above ground than it is in the ground and the root can freeze solid and the plant can be annihilated in a cold, cold winter. Um, the lack of light is not going to be a huge issue because this plant will grow uh, as long as it's a bright spot. It doesn't need direct sunlight. But... When it comes to the pot, you said large pot. So the bigger the pot, the better, because that's your better chance of survival. Um, what I've done, and to have really, you know, sort of almost guaranteed chance of survival is, you know, you can even make like a custom wooden box type planter for something like this. And then you line the box with the styrofoam boards, like the one inch or three quarter inch styrofoam boards. Then you put in your soil. And of course, you make sure you've got drainage holes at the bottom and you plant your plant. And it's it's very likely that it will do just fine over the winter because, you know, and again, kind of depending where you are in Port Hope, closer to the lake is always warmer than further away from the lake. And staying out of cold, harsh northwest winds is always a better chance of survival. So all those things are going to have impact. But if you do decide to plant this into a pot and attempt to overwinter it out on the deck, just make sure it is well watered before freeze up. So you don't want it going into the winter dry. It's got to be well watered. And then in the spring, be prepared to cut back dead stuff and it'll all bounce right back. It, should, it shouldn't be a problem. Okay. Uh, Charlie, I got to admit something. Well, you know me. Uh, I've got a good memory, except it's very short. So we were on a little trip down to see some uh, mutual friends uh, just south of of us in Toronto. And uh, self-distance, all that sort of jazz. But on the drive back up on Warden, as we're slowed down in traffic, I glanced off to the right and saw a tree with a great ugly knot on it. Huge. And I thought, oh, oh, I know what that is. Uh, we talked about it in the show. Oh, and I couldn't wait to get home. I had to go jump online. A gall. G-A-L-L, uh, correct? God. Good job. Well, probably. Yeah, probably. Galls are uh, any sort of, they almost look like tumors on the plant. And they can be on the leaves. They can be on the stems. They can be on the trunk. So, yeah. 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 Good job, Frank. There's another word, too. Uh, burr, B-U-R-R, yeah. named after a, a guy, but uh, that's the same sort of thing. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, here, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> a note from Indra Ramsaran. 
says, good morning, Charlie. I need to purchase fertilizer for my flowers and uh, need to know the number combination for best results as I don't want to purchase the incorrect type. Thanks. Have a good day. Stay cool. Enjoy your show, Indra. Thanks, Indra. Um, so, you know what's the bottom line here is fertilizers, uh, They most of the manufacturers try to make it as easy as possible for the consumer. So, what you're going to do when you go into your local garden center or your Canadian Tire, wherever you go, is you're going to go to the fertilizer shelf and you're going to look for a flowering plant fertilizer. Typically, a flowering plant fertilizer is going to have a middle number that's higher than the first and third numbers. Um, and you're also going to look for something that's going to be easy for you to work with. So they're water soluble, which would be like the, the blue powder you mix in your watering can. Um, it might be a 15, 30, 15. It might be a 5, 10, 5. There's a million and one different numbers out there, but just look for something with, or you, there's something what they're called blooms plus, right? So anything that's got flowers on it and then look for that as your fertilizer for anything that flowers in your garden. So keep it simple. Don't be, buying different fertilizers for every single plant. Remember, we want flowers on our tomatoes, we want flowers on our petunias, we want flowers on our trumpet vines. So all of those things get the same fertilizer. Okay, doke. Uh, I think we've got time to attack this next question here. That's uh, Alice McTavish. You want to have a look at that from Etobicoke? Do you yeah, think we got quickly okay. if we have time. All right. Uh, rose blooms are infested with a, what I think are Japanese beetles. It's a new problem for me. At least I never noticed it previously. What do you recommend to get rid of them? I understand you can knock them off the plant into soapy water or oily water, but that's just, I'm not likely to do that. <laughs> if, if you recommend spraying with neem oil, where can you buy 100% cold-pressed neem oil in Etobicoke or the GTA? <laughs> what brand and how much should one buy for a small garden? Mm-hmm. And what mixture do you recommend? Okay. Wow, there you go. Yeah, okay, so here's the scoop. Neem oil is not registered as an insecticide. So it is not available, as far as I know, anywhere in Ontario uh, as an insecticide. The only way you might find neem oil is as a leaf shine or it, or potentially in a, an Indian store that's selling it for some other purpose, but not as a plant uh, for plant purposes. So I wouldn't even try and get neem oil. I know you don't want to knock off those ugly little Japanese beetles into a can of soapy water, but that's your best bet. Trust me. And I know it's a pain, but it's a, it works. And uh, that's what I would recommend at the end of the day. And we're all at a racetrack, Frankie. Uh, yeah, well, for this segment, we sure are. Uh, we're coming back for our final segment of the day. So stick around here on Zoomer Radio, Charlie Dobbin, The Garden Show. Frank Proctor along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, here we are on the final segment of The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I have a note from Bev Walker. Uh, She says, oh, the uh, subject matter is agapanthus. If I said that right, I hope. Uh, Hi, Charlie and Frank. Oh, good. My Saturday mornings here in Mississauga begin with the garden show and a great cup of coffee. Hey, that's great. Hope you're enjoying your new property, Charlie. 
Just want you to know, want to know what to do with my agapanthus plant over winter. The tag says it's not winter hardy. I currently have it in a pot. Love your show. Best regards, Bev. Great question, Bev. Uh, definitely, I'm glad you have it in a pot. Leave it in a pot because you will not be leaving that outside for the winter. It is a, a tropical deciduous plant, typically. So it, you'll leave it out in, until late summer. What I would do is, it depends what you've got. If you've got a root cellar, you want an unheated, cool spot. Well, but frost-free spot for that plant to spend the winter. Um, it's likely going to drop all its leaves, and that's fine. It doesn't need any special light. And when you water, you will water very sparingly just to keep it alive. So cool 40 to 50 degree Fahrenheit uh, and resting for over the winter. And uh, and then come spring, you'll move it into some light. You'll start give it some water, and leaves will start to grow. And then you'll slowly but surely but get it back up to being the big, fat, juicy plant that it probably is now. Uh, big green leaves and beautiful blue flowers. So, uh, yeah, just keep it frost-free and don't overwater in the winter. All righty. Hey, here we are, a little political note. Nice to have the deputy mayor of Markham, uh, Don Hamilton, join us here on a Saturday morning. Uh, says, hi, Charlie and Frank. And I presume he sent you a, a photograph here. Uh, we keep the plant in a west window with the blind down when the sun comes in at night. We wait till the leaves start to droop before we water it. And when we water, we give it a thorough watering and let it drain. Still, we keep getting yellow leaves, which we eventually have to remove. Any idea what's going wrong? We don't want to kill this plant. Well, thank you, Don, for your note. Okay, so the, he didn't actually send a photograph. The subject is the name of the plant. So he actually has a perfectly spelled oh. spathiphyllum, which is commonly referred to as a peace lily. Oh, no, you're right. Actually, there even is a picture. Yeah, okay. So I was just looking at this one really quickly. West window blinds down when the sun comes in at night, which is fine. It, it is a plant that likes a bright spot. It doesn't need direct sunlight. So a west window with the blind down is okay, but just make sure it's nice and bright there. Uh, I would water more, like, water it when the leaves, don't wait for the leaves to droop. The leaves actually will change color. They'll go from a kind of a shiny green to a dull green when it's time to water. And absolutely give it a thorough watering. Let the water sit in the saucer below the pot with the drainage holes for at least 10 or 15 minutes because you're going to find that that water will be absorbed and will move up into the soil through those drainage holes. If 15 minutes later there's still water in the saucer, fine, then dump it out. But thorough watering and let the soil really absorb the water. And you will, yes, you will have the odd yellow leaf, but you shouldn't have like um, more than one yellow leaf a week. Um, your plant doesn't look too bad. You've got lots of flowers, which is great. And, and it is pretty normal to have the odd yellow leaf. But um, if you leave it to the drooping point, then you'll have more yellow leaves. So try and catch it when it's just on the dry side. Even get used to what the weight of the pot is and you'll know when to water just based on the, the heaviness or lightness, uh, based on the amount of moisture in the pot. Um, and you won't kill it. It's a pretty hard one to kill. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Irene Smith sends an interesting little note here regarding chestnut trees. She says, hi, Charlie. Uh, here's an update on my chestnut trees. I'm becoming quite attached to these three baby trees. I want to ensure I get them strong enough to transplant the, uh, in the fall. They're outside my patio table, far away from the squirrels. The one tree had an insect eating the leaves. Now the leaves have dead spots. And she sent you some photographs. The second tree has a pale green leaf that curls under. The third seems okay. Should I be doing anything to ensure their growth and well-being? Thank you, Irene Smith. All right. So the one photograph shows a chestnut tree with the older leaves bright green and the new growth up on the top is very pale green, what we call chlorotic. So what that's telling me and, and anybody who looks at this picture is that this plant needs nitrogen. So it is showing a lack of nitrogen with those chlorotic or yellow leaves. So get yourself an all-purpose fertilizer. Use it today if you can, uh, Irene, because we don't want to be fertilizing any of our perennial plants like our trees after the end of July. So just an all-purpose fertilizer into those pots because that's a potting soil and there's no natural fertility in that soil. So uh, you're going to find that one good shot of properly measured fertilizer into a watering can and then you water with them. They should look fine. And if they don't, no big deal because you know what? These leaves will drop very soon uh, in the fall and you get all new leaves next year and once it's in the ground if those plants are in the ground they will find nutrient better than they ever will in a pot the brown little um, uh, there's like brown what we call scorch on the edges or margins of the leaves is very common that happens to chestnuts in the heat so hot sun hot temperatures chestnut trees get brown spots all over them again perfectly normal next year you get all new leaves so you get to try again and try and avoid the scorch but you can't it's an environmental thing so you really can't do much now, we have just a little smidge of time remaining in the program. How about using that to tell some folks more about your trips to the healing gardens, okay? Well, let me just tell you something. That I was in Orillia, and I discovered, well, actually, Charles Pachter helped me discover uh, the best, world's best butter tarts and Chelsea buns at oh, oh. Wilkie's Bakery in Aurelia. So good, like just to die for. So if you're a butter tart or a Chelsea bun fan, get up to Aurelia <laughs> and check out Wilkie's <laughs> Bakery. Um, but yeah, I know Charles was a lot of fun. He uh, he has what he calls the Moose Factory Studio and Gallery, so MoFo in Aurelia. And he is a, a, a per, he's, he's been doing art and sculpture and, and all kinds of really creative things for many, many, many years. So he's a quite a talent to gentlemen and we did have quite a lot of fun uh meeting him and spending some time with him and um yeah getting some great food tips from him uh, he is <laughs> one of canada's leading contemporary artists uh, so um yeah it, he was a lot of fun and and it, it, it was just one more episode of what is a 10 episode series called healing gardens and that will be on vision tv and we'll let everybody know when you know when exactly uh, broadcast dates are right yeah, exactly. And I don't think we'll actually do all 10 episodes this summer because the pandemic has made it a little difficult to do some of the traveling that we wanted to do. So we may only end up with five episodes this year. But nevertheless, I will let everybody know when that when it all happens. Okay. Oh, ow. I just got a jab in the ribs from Joel. Uh, right. he, he's saying, wrap it up, guys. Okay. We got to say goodbye, Charlie. Goodbye, Frankie. Goodbye, Joel. Thanks so much for all these <laughs> great emails and thanks for all your great help. See you again next week.
This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.